Recorded in the comfy confines of the Auto Media Group Studios, we bring you the Get Deep Podcast, part of the Connect Podcast Network. Join friends and business owners Aaron Jones and Wes Otto as they bring forth stories of guests who are movers and shakers in their industries and beyond. Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for tuning into the Get Deep Podcast. Tonight we have a fun guest, one of my favorite people on the planet. True story, not saying that just because you're sitting in front of me. He's giggling now. He's like, yeah, fucking idiot. <laughs> Liar. <laughs> um, but we have tonight on the Get Deep Podcast, Wesley, Brent Bush. BB. BB, double B, I like to, I like to call him. Um, he's been a client and a friend um, and just a really connected community person for many years in this Mankato area. Um, and we'll of course go over his history and his roles and what he does and who he is here shortly. But I really want to say, appreciate your time. I know you're a really busy guy. So thank you for sitting down with yeah. us, drinking a drink and getting real. Yeah. Thanks for having me guys. It's uh, yeah. it's fun. It's a absolute uh, honor to do it. I appreciate honor. that. It's an honor. Wow. We're going to, we're going to need to get that we in writing that. and then frame it on the wall. We're going to put that on the website. I love it. I love it. I'll put it in a shadow box for you. It'll be be real nice. (laughs) Don't make too many promises now. We're expecting this. (laughs) Uh, Well, thank you again for coming on. Um, The Get Deep podcast, of course, we we get a chance, uh, which is a super cool blessing, to get the stories of a lot of community people who are are doing great things, who are, again, connected and involved. Um, And so uh, you were on my list a long time ago, finally getting to you here. So... um, Let's get started with Brent Bush and his history. Let's talk about where'd you grow up, you know, um, kind of the, the origin story of uh, Double B. Yeah, you know, I'm a, I'm a Mankato guy. You. I, <laughs> I, uh, oddly enough, I grew up one block away from here. Really? I did. Okay. Uh, just on Broad Street over there. Lived there for my whole uh, childhood. Did, uh, hung out at Turtle Up Pool and oh, yes. all the neighborhood kids and... Uh, you know, our family lived there up uh, until I moved out of the house. Okay. Yeah. So, brought, what was the address? You still remember the address? I oh, was assuming? it's 1616. The house fact, is still there. House is still there. Perfect. Um, yeah, it's the it's got the creek and all that. They're still there. It's uh, yeah. So where I grew up. I think what I think it actually this might even be the 1616 address on this building. This is the 1600 block. Yeah. Yeah. Damn. So yeah, just over there. So I'm, I'm not familiar with the school maps. What, is, what does that mean? Where did you go school-wise? I went to Loyola, ah. and, then, um, and then I also went to West. Okay. Gotcha. So when did you transfer? I transferred in my junior year. Oh, that's an interesting time to transfer. It is an interesting time to transfer. I assume there's a story there. Ah. Um, it, was, it was just it was time for me to, to, um, it was time for me to, to find a different horizon to look at. Um, of my own doing. So it, uh, I, I needed some, some different perspectives and I, uh, went ahead and, and kind of moved on to West and I, you know, appreciated Loyola for everything. And, uh, and it was time for me to get a, get a taste of some different things. And, um, I, I really appreciated West as well. I, I learned a lot there too, but, uh, yeah. I feel like we're not getting the full story here. Yeah, no. We'll get him there. We'll get him there. Just need more bourbon. Gotta get a little more. So, uh, all there. We'll get deep here. <laughs> Um, did you, back in the day with, with the turtle lot situation, I grew up right down here, uh, which such a throwback pool. I used to ride my bike from not too far from here, but Van Brunt street, right by Mankato West there, pleasant Van Brunt, all that. That's where I grew up. Um, but used to ride my bike to turtle lot. And I remember the, the, you know, the really high dive and the two small little, Mm -hmm. uh, diving boards connected to it. Were they there? 
Yeah, that uh, was also a, still. I mean, you're not that much older than me, but were no. They? So that that pool was redone. Um, I was just I was little when the pool was redone. So it was, uh, and it, and before that, it didn't have any any pit at all. Hmm. Um, and so I was probably uh, six years old. Okay, when I completely revamped it, made it an Olympic sized pool with the diving pit and all that, and then. For my entire life there, it, it had that. I don't know if it does anymore. Sure. Did you ever experience a baby Ruth uh, in that pool, or did you ever produce a baby Ruth um, in that pool? So I spent many a summer where I didn't miss a single day, and the fact is is that that was a reasonably common occurrence, never for myself. <laughs> And now, really uh, reasonably you know, common. Oh, of course, I do. We can, Aaron, we only ask the important questions. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Okay, I just want to make sure, Wes. He looked at me, and I couldn't tell if he wanted the candy bar or if he didn't know. That does sound good, though. It was, not the, it was the 80s. I mean. Yeah, baby Ruth. Um, it was a fun pool. I really I really had a good time there, and it just kind of cool scenery in the background with the you know the hill and the trees. And just always a cool little area. Yeah, it was fun. We, yeah. I mean, I did spend every single day in the summer there for many years. Right. So. Uh, what was life like living down in that area though? Was it, uh, you have a good neighborhood? Oh gosh. Good, we, good friends. It was, it, it was, uh, it was just really your kind of your typical small town, um, you know, wake up in the morning, eat a bowl of cereal, get on your bicycle and you would ride to your friend's house. And, and of course you had friends, you know, everywhere in, in, you know, North Mankato or perhaps Hilltop or even, in, um, by the college and you'd get on your bicycle and you'd ride and um, you would hang out with your friends all day and somebody's mom would feed you <laughs> right. um, or not. I mean, some, whatever. And then, uh, you know, you'd see the the streetlights turn on. It was like, oh, my God, I got to get home. I've got about five minutes to get home before. Chugga, 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 yeah, before it's going to be a be a hot mess. And that was that was like every day. Yeah, that is like the picture of the iconic childhood in America. Hundred like percent. Everyone describes it the exact same way. Yeah, in this this alley back here, right here, we'd have bicycle races. In <laughs> I, I swear, every every third day. I mean, I, I, it's just yeah, right here. Yeah, yeah. We have Cholito races in that same alleyway now. I mean, we just <laughs> yes. sit there and try and eat as many Cholitos as we can. And luckily, we're in the alleyway, so if we make a mess, it's fine. <laughs> No, you're absolutely right though. That iconic, you know, that growing up that way, I think it's so cool. And I, and my goal is to, as my kids get older, to tell them those stories. And, and I also have to be comfortable as a parent to allow my kids to do that. Yeah. Cause I think there's a lot of helicopter parents and I'm not trying to judge too much with that. I get it. We live in a really weird world now, but, um, riding bikes to friends' houses, being able to look at exactly the street, you know, street lights that come on, be home by dark or, yeah. you know, sometimes you could hear your mom scream. Because you know your name, because you were a block away playing right. with your neighborhood friends. Those were those were awesome days. Yeah, it's important to be safe and, and do all the right things. But at the same time, you know, I spend a lot of time kind of looking at my kids. My kids are a little older now, but yeah, you let them, you know, let them do their thing and kind of let them grow and explore. And how old are your kids? And how many do you have? And I've got, I've got three. I've got a, a nineteen-year-old, a sixteen-year-old, and a thirteen-year-old. Sure. So Nineteen, sixteen, thirteen. Yeah. Yep. So I've got uh, two daughters and a boy. So every uh, experience of the teenage years is basically what you're going through. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> Independence, the yep. the wild side and the beginning of those uh, yep. painful years. <laughs> yep. And the, and the girls and boys are totally different. So. Sure. Um, so went to Loyola. Yep. Switched to West junior year. Correct. Um, easy fit in. Like, you know, yeah, easy transition. Yeah, you, was, you, you found some friends. It was easy. Yep, it was fun. I mean, okay. you know, the first day wasn't fun, but 
after that, it was just fine. You know, I, and I actually didn't have, um, any friends from, from West, um, because I, I lived on the East side. Sure. And I don't even know why I chose West. I just was like, oh, let's go to West. So sure. I did. Um, I, I have no, had no good reason. It was just something to do. And so I didn't have a peer group or anything down there. So I had to make all new friends, which was great. Cause now I have lifelong friends from, you know, going to school there too. So it was pretty cool. Right. So high school gets done yep. and you move on to college. Yeah. So I did a little bit of college turned out to not be my, I wasn't like a perfect fit for college. So I ended up going to work for the family company for quite a while. Okay. Um, and I worked with my, so I worked with my dad for, you know, through high school. And then while I was working there, I went to college, um, got, got that done again. It wasn't like, I wasn't like great at it. It was family it, business. It need, question mark. Yeah. So we had, we just had a wholesale grocery company that had been in our family for, you know, hundred years, something like that. It's a wholesale <clears throat> grocery company. Yeah. So think, uh, you know, supplying food to schools, nursing homes, restaurants, oh. Stuff like that. Sure. Yeah. So, you know, did that with my, with my father for, you know, a few years and then it was kind of the world had changed around us. So a company had come in and, uh, you know, they'd purchased our, our company and, uh, I just went along with the purchase. So, you know, I worked for them and, and then, uh, you know, that got a little boring cause <laughs> food's pretty boring, especially <laughs> when you're, you know, I think I was 22 at that point. So you know, I was 22 years old. I worked for the the other company for a little while, and then uh, you know I ended up falling into the Harley Davidson world for a bit. So, what'd you do for the family company? What'd you do when you were 22? Like, what was the work like? Well, for the family company, I did everything. I mean, it was first of all, it's pretty much painting things, a lot of painting, scraping, really, any manual labor that my father needed done was my sure. my thing. Eventually, he had me, uh, you know, doing a. Um, you know, doing, uh, like warehouse work. So gotcha. I just, you know, pick, pick orders and put boxes together and, you know, make, make sure it was correct. And then, uh, you know, and then I drove truck for a little bit, did that on the, on their city route. So I just delivered inside of the town. I never went, you know, I didn't have a big truck. I was a kid, sure. a kid, but I was 18. What was the name of the business? It's called AJ Bush company. AJ Bush. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah, I did that. And then eventually I ended up, uh, he ended up throwing me on the road as a sales guy. He thought I did a good job as a sales guy for food. I will be honest. I, it was like really bad. I was not good at it. <laughs> well, you're saying that through the lens of one of the most successful sales folks in Mankato now. Um, so I don't, you know, I appreciate I'm sure that. back then. I appreciate that. But yeah, I, yeah. I was, I just, I kind of shake my head because I, even at the time, I mean, I really knew that I wasn't good at it. Um, I tried, I didn't even, and, and not because probably I wasn't capable. I didn't even try that hard. Sometimes. That's what I was going to ask. Was it just, you didn't give that much of a shit about it at the I, time because you were young. I did, I did, but it's like I didn't know how to do it. You know, it was like, uh, like I suppose I don't know if you took somebody with a, the greatest painter in the world, and if you don't ever teach him how to paint, maybe he's never going to know how to paint. Sure. You know, I just wasn't, I wasn't mature enough at sure. that point. That might have been the best way to put it. I was a little too green, um, and uh, you know, like I say, my dad said, "Oh, you did a good job and all that," but you know, I got a sales route that was pre baked. Um, these people, <laughs> you know, they were buying the stuff, whether I was, so that was kind of, I look back on it and I go, Oh, I could have done such a better job and right. maybe change the trajectory of things, but be it what it is, you know, that's, that's life. It's not a big deal. Yeah. Well, you didn't screw it up 
And, no. And at no, that age, no. it's really easy to screw it up. So. Yeah, no. 22 years old, you said, right? So to yeah. that, you oh, did a good man. job. Yeah. I can think of what I was doing at 22, and I sure as hell wasn't doing that for the family company. So uh, kudos to you. Let's uh, let's take a side pivot for a second and uh, chat about your dad for a moment. So you said it was um, it was AJ or A... AJ Bush. AJ Bush. Yep. Um, so obviously the last name Bush, but AJ, is that including, is that your dad's name involved in that? Um, no. So that would have been, that would have been my great grandfather. Great grandfather. So yeah. this goes back away. Yeah. I think our uh, the company started years? in 1886, Jeez. something like that, give wow. or take. Okay. So, so your great grandfather, your grandfather, and then your dad, Correct, um, yeah. and, uh, eventually got, you know, bought out by some other yeah. company. Yep. Um, so Who bought you out? A company called IFD, so out of out of Eau Claire. Okay, okay. So uh, let's talk about your pop, your your dad for a moment. Yeah. Um, I know that uh, he passed not too long ago. He did. Yep. And um, how old was your dad? Uh, he would have been eighty three. Eighty three. Yeah. Um, pretty close to your pops. Yeah, dad and I were we we spent a lot of time together. So you know we worked together. Yeah. Um, and and that was uh, it was interesting. You know we 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 learned. Uh, a lot about each other in a different level, like a lot more mutual respect yeah. for each other. And then it kind of brought us really close because of it. And then after the work was done and he retired and, you know, then it, it you know, I had kind of left the family business completely. I had no ties to that. Then our relationship really got, got a lot, you know, a lot tighter. And yeah, we spent a lot of time together. Yeah. I uh, was, I remember seeing some pictures of uh, you riding around while him in the passenger seat of your, your fast, uh, uh, Corvette, um, Corvette, right? Yeah. I'm yeah. terrible with cars, but, uh, him rolling in there and you drive in and, and this wasn't too long ago. And I was, it, I was thinking, man, he probably just loved that experience yeah. rolling around you just driving around. Yeah. So that car, you know, dad had some memory issues going and, and we knew it. And, uh, so I ordered that stupid car and, <laughs> and I had this whole trip planned. Like it was going to be our last thing. So I, because dad liked Corvettes. I'm not a Corvette guy. I, like, I mean, they're cool. You bought it for your wife, right? If I remember correctly. <laughs> that As he said, it was for his wife. Well, that's the best way to get a Corvette. <laughs> so, so I'm not a Corvette guy. So I, I decided, you know, my dad was a Corvette guy. And he always tells all these stories about how when he was younger and he had Corvettes. And he'd, you know, stories for another day. They're funny, but be it what it is. Um, so I thought, I'm going to do this cool thing. He's, he's still got his memory. It's really going to be fun. Uh, we'll, we'll get this car and we'll do the museum delivery where we go on a road trip and I'm going to take him on his last road trip and we're going to go down and we're going to go to the museum and we're going to pick up this stupid car and we're going to have a blast and it's going to be fun. Cause he was still really with it. Like he, you know, he, but he was slipping gears and we, we all knew it. And was it dementia or yeah, Alzheimer's? Uh, okay. Dementia, Alzheimer's, sure. all the above. I guess. Tough. Yeah. Um, but then unfortunately, uh, COVID happened and all of the supply chain issues kicked in. So this car that was going to be this last hurrah got, kept getting pushed back, pushed back. And, you know, unfortunately nature doesn't really care about Corvettes very much. So, um, by the time I got the dumb thing, you know, he was, he was in a home mm-hmm. and then, you know, again, now we're in the middle of COVID, right? You can't, can't, everybody's, Hunkered you know, down, hunkered down and all that. And so we, we started to get to the end of COVID where it was, you know, everybody was pretty well vaccinated and things were loosening up and, you know, his health was beginning to go down. And I, I, I asked him, I said, you know, we, we can take him on doctor's visits and stuff like that. Um, can I take him for a ride? And they're like, well, uh, 
can't say yes. But, uh, <laughs> and then they walked away and I'm like, all right, let's go. So, yeah. so I pulled the car up and I kind of shoehorned dad into this Corvette and he was still, you know, lucid and all that. And we had a blast and we took that thing and, you know, but it was fun. We, 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 we made a lot of, we made a lot of fast memories, went downtown, got him a, got him a burger and, and awesome. hung out of the flask for a little bit. And then, um, you know, we might've, might've did a couple of burnouts <laughs> and he was laughing. He was just dying laughing and then, you know, dropped him off. And that was, so we still, we finally got, we got to do a small part of what right. we wanted to do. And that was pretty cool. Good for you, man. I mean, that, that's a really cool story to be able to do something like that for a parent. I mean, to go that extra mile of, first of all, buying a car, for your wife, but really, <laughs> really for your dad, yeah. right? Uh, but then to, to, you know, unfortunately everything gets side, sidetracked yeah. like that, but to still be able to have that moment, that's really cool. Yeah, it was cool. And I mean, I, and I have to give actually a lot of credit to Mankato Motors because they, I mean, they, they did everything they could do to, mm-hmm. to get it done. I mean, these things are not still, you still can't get one very easily. And they did everything sure. they could do to get me this car because they knew I was on a time budget. Yeah. And and that was pretty cool, you know, to be able to do it locally and, and have them, have them hook me up. That was awfully, awfully nice of them. Right. So. Well, I'm glad you got that memory. I, like I said, I, I did not know the whole backstory of that, uh, double B, but I saw the pictures on social and I thought, well, that's cool. It's neat. <laughs> it's neat to see that. And he looked like he was enjoying himself. And, um, if that's the car that you also let me drive one time, it's, uh, pretty sweet. It's like <laughs> sitting in a rocket ship. Um, just the whole seat angles and the, everything the display and the middle, uh, console. I mean, it was pretty, it's the same car, right? Same car. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Uh, so he brought it to the store one time and we were out there looking at it in the summer and he's like, you want to drive it? I'm like, I better not. I better not. He's like, just get in, just get in. So he tells me to take it on the highway. Of course, I'm pussyfooting it. He keeps telling me, lay her down, lay her down, lay her down. And I think I got her up to like 90. And then I was, I was freaking out. Cause I'm like, I don't want to get you like, you know, I don't want to get ticket. I don't want to screw your car up. He's like, you won't, don't worry about it. But yeah. I was definitely being a little, a little baby about it. Hey. But he kept telling me to punch her. Have you ever done that before? Like in another car? Uh, you know, I know my, I've been with my brother, Andy in situations like that, where sure. he's, he's gone pretty fast and other sports cars that he's had and stuff like that, but nothing where I was driving. Yeah. So, um, I think I've got, I've gotten a car up to 110 before, but it wasn't a car like his. Sure. Like that was, you, you bear, you basically what? Press your foot down a, a half inch and the damn thing's already at 70. You're <laughs> it's, like, it's geez. pretty quick. It's pretty fast. It's nuts. It's fun. Yeah. It scared me a little bit. What's your normal drive? Are you a car guy, by the way? I am a car guy. Okay. Yeah, definitely like cars. Um, I just drive a four-door sedan normally. Just sure. A boring, nothing too crazy. Sure. Yeah, so. I, I'm a RAV4 dude. Yeah. So, yeah I mean, I, reliable. But, I, but I'm a sedan. Yeah, I'm, I'm a car guy. Like sure. trucks are great. And my wife drives a truck. She's yeah. cooler than me. <laughs> she's but, cooler than me. But you heard it here fo- first, folks. It's yeah, true. he knows she's yeah. going to listen. That's what that was. <laughs> but... Uh, but no, I, I'm I do like just just cars, right? Yeah, they're fun. Cool. Um, well, you're you're kind of. Uh, I want I want to jump back to you so we don't forget some information here. So going back to, um, we talked a little bit about college not necessarily being the thing for you. You realized yeah. that early on, um, but you became a motorcycle guy and had a, a career for a while at Harley Davidson here locally. I did. I want to know when did you become a motorcycle guy? When did that um, passion well, start? It's, uh, it actually happened at West High School. Um, accidentally, um, Mr. Jeske sent me on a trip up here, right over here, to buy 
something at uh, the auto parts store on the corner over just a block away from here. And uh, I was driving by during high school and I saw a Kawasaki Ninja at, um, at the death <laughs> trap. Absolute, <laughs> absolute death trap. And I didn't know how to ride a motorcycle. Um, so I see this Kawasaki Ninja sitting there on the corner of, at a, at a motorcycle place. And I pulled in in high school and I told the guy, I'm like, I have to have that. <laughs> so, so I, I figured out a way to buy this thing. <clears throat> Come and whatever, finish the trip. Come home with this ninja that I didn't know how to ride. It was terrible. It was terrifying. And I didn't know how to turn. I didn't know how to do anything. I didn't even know how to start it hardly, but I was riding this motor. So that was when it started. Um, and then, you know, I kind of got into the Harley Davidson world and, you know, during my regular career, bought a Harley Davidson and then ended up at, you know, eventually spending so much time at the dealership that they finally just hired me. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah. Um, how many bikes have you owned in your life? I have owned total uh, probably, I don't know, maybe 15, 20, something like that. He pulled up the sleeve of his suit jacket, and then it looks like he's got them all tattooed up his arm. Um, I, I so don't, he I don't. He's, he had to count real quick, but <laughs> um, so you you okay? So you you fell in love with that Kawasaki Ninja, which is um, definitely a throwback name for me back in the day. I never owned one, but I had a lot of people. That's all they'd talk about. The Kawasaki Ninja was like the badass bike. So spent a lot of time at Harley. How long was your career? I spent 17 years. 17 years. Yep. So I started as just a, a weekend sales guy and did that. And that was fun. And it was a, you know, who, my God, you get to play with these things and whatever you want to do, sell them to people, make a little extra money on the side. And then, you know, back to the whole got out of the food business, you know, it's not very exciting. It's, it's really easy to, to switch a 22 year old from selling food to selling Harley Davidson yeah, full time. I would imagine. Right. It doesn't take a lot of work. Um, so that came up off I go. And then shortly thereafter, I actually got um, slid into the financial side of it. So I ended up working on, you know, being the, the finance and insurance manager mm-hmm. and then eventually, you know, managed the service shop and um, business manager, that stuff. So, so I've done a little bit of looking at motorcycles, um, to my mother's chagrin. Um, but when I've looked, uh, the pricing seems to range a little bit and I'm sure it's changed some yeah. since you were in there, but what's kind of the low end versus the high end of what you guys would sell at Harley? Um, in my tenure, which is everything's totally different now. So I'm going to be way off, but I think our least expensive motorcycle would have been about $6,000. Sure. And that would have been a Sportster 883, just a standard Sportster. Um, you know, nice, fun, solid bike, yeah. Do everything you want it to do. Be super uncomfortable, all of the above. Um, <laughs> you know, and sure. then uh, and, and then kind of the the top end non special model, like your big touring bike that's not some sort of gold leafed anything, but just a normal human being bike, would have been about twenty five thousand. Sure. So it had about you know roughly a nineteen thousand dollar swing. Um, totally different animals, though. I mean, they almost might have been should have been built by different companies. They were so different. But, wow. But. Um, yeah, that's about the swing. So were you one of the, the kind of guys that like to go on distance rides, like cross-country kind of stuff, Sturgis? That, I know Sturgis isn't far from us, but, you know. Well, it's pretty far on a motorcycle. Yeah, I mean, I like to I like to do that. Um, you know, we did a few bi- a few big trips a year. You know, mm-hmm. of course, I'm always kind of working, so I never did a ton of them. But, sure. yeah, a few big trips a year. But then, you know, there's nothing wrong with the, you know, get off work at on a Friday at 5 o'clock and mm-hmm. ride – 
to midnight somewhere in Minnesota <laughs> and then come back. Yeah, you know? sure. You were kind of mentioning that to me one time. We were having a conversation at Jay Long's and you, you said, uh, yeah, my you kind of, you were talking kind of about your former life and correct me if I'm wrong on this, but you said, gosh, uh, I'm pretty lucky cause I had a, a wife that allowed me to kind of live the motorcycle life for a while. And you said that was kind of, um, cause you, you, you would, you were very obsessed with it. I mean, it's, it's a it life, just, right? Yeah, it it's was like just a, fun. it was, you know, we had a lot of fun. So it was hard to say, you know, when, when, especially when you work at a dealership and you're sitting around and it's, it's four 30 and you close at five and everybody's, you know, you know, I'm one of the few guys that's married and whatnot. And it's kind of hard when everybody's like, okay, we're going to go get on the motorcycles and we're going to ride up to Minneapolis and, and we're going to go up there and we're going to have fun and we'll go to the, you know, go to two E's or whatever. And then, uh, you know, we'll be back by 11. Okay. Well, that doesn't seem like that big of a deal when you're not married, but when you're married, you know, you do that three nights a week, you're going to have trouble. Yeah. All right. And, you know, to my wife's credit, she understood that, you know, I was having fun, um, you know, Go ahead and have fun. So yeah. did Jess originally meet Brent Bush, the food salesman, or Brent Bush, the motorcycle salesman? She met Brent Bush, the um, probably 16-year-old kid. Ah, even before yeah. all of it. Yeah, so all right. that was, uh, we've known each other for quite a while. Very good. Yeah. Wow. I was wondering if she fell in love with the badass motorcycle no, guy, she knows. or if she knew the, I never, the dorky sixteen-year-old. So here's, here's where you here's where you here's where you've gone gone wrong. You've departed from reality. I was never a badass uh, motorcycle guy. <laughs> I just rode them. Listen, the audience didn't know that. Well, you they could do have built know. any kind of illusion you wanted. I know, but that's not fair. <laughs> oh, that's very good. How so? Sixteen years old must have been at Loyola, or was that West? Junior um, years, kind of either way. Yeah, it was kind of both. It was right in the middle. You know, we met at a party, got in a fight. Didn't like each other. Naturally. Yeah, didn't like each other. And then we we ended up, um, you know, meeting up, uh, like, gosh, it must have been a year later, almost a year later. And I uh, didn't remember the fight that we had been in. <laughs> and then about six months after we started dating, you're like, oh, I know that pickup truck. Are you that girl that drives that ugly pickup truck? <laughs> she's like, that's my dance pickup. I'm like, that's an ugly truck. But I remember you. And she's like, oh, my God, you're the guy. You're the guy. Ah, that's <laughs> I was funny. like, oh, oh yeah. Sorry. Tell me the Sorry pickup truck wasn't what the fight was over. <laughs> um, no, I was just, I'm sure I was just being a jerk. Sure. <laughs> I was 16 uh, years funny. old. I probably liked her and was picking on her and she got mad and didn't right. want to hear it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I like the honesty. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's funny. Uh, so the Harley day, 17 years, what was it like to manage there at a, at a bike shop? Fun. We had a, we had a good crew. We had a, you know, we had a tight group. Um, we had a lot of fun. You know, the, um, the business was, was quite a bit easier back then, you know, think, you know, early two thousands, right. Everybody loved motorcycles mm -hmm. and, um, you couldn't get enough of them. So they sold themselves and it was just a fun, you know, easygoing environment where we really got to, you know, ride toys around. Right. Um, a lot of our customers ended up being our friends, you know, and it was, it was pretty cool. Yeah. You know? So, well, when you're working for, um, AJ Bush, mm -hmm. you know, the wholesale food yeah. company, family company, right. You, you weren't necessarily managing others. You're managing no. yourself essentially to a certain point. Correct, um, yeah. as far as Harley then was the first official, like kind of career situation where you were managing others yeah. and in charge of other people. How was that transition for you? It had to have been a little interesting. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't, I mean, I, I could easily say, Oh, it was so easy. And it just was, you know, I made every right decision. That was terrible. I was scared. Um, I didn't know what I was doing often, so I had to read a lot of books, which I did. 
and, uh, you know, just tried to be as good as I could be, but it still to this day, I mean, like you look at it and you go, oh, I could have done this better. I could have made, made that decision better. I wish I wouldn't have said that or sure. reacted that way. Um, but by and by it wasn't horrible cause I had a great group of people, right? right? They weren't, nobody was, there wasn't any like big adversarial relationship. Everybody was pretty happy to, to, you know, just be on, be on the team and, you know, move forward. So it was good. It was cool. Yeah kind of bike do you own now or bikes maybe plural would be the better um, way to ask that right now i only have one. Oh my gosh no and it's a 2007 uh harley davidson road glide so the old what road, color it's orange okay any trim and other colors on there it's just orange it's, and it's black just, it's orange and black it's okay. uh, i bought it in august of 2006 okay and i've had every bit of a 10 bikes since that bike and i just can't stop riding that one. I mean, what, what is it about it? I, I don't know. It's just my bike. It's ugly and the seats wore out. And it's, <laughs> it leaks oil, of course. How many miles you got on that baby? You know, I think it's got about 60,000 miles. So it's not like I didn't ride that much. Sure. Right. I, I, I did one or two big trips a year and then, you know, I got three kids. So yeah. I was driving a sedan most yeah. of the time, but, um, so yeah, it's got about 60,000 miles on it. It's pretty much ready for collector plates. Um, <laughs> But it's the old war horse. I mean, it's been everywhere with me. I've, I've driven it in on pretty much every big trip I've ever been on, other than the couple of times that it, you know, had some normal hiccups that sure Harley Davidsons that are beat up have, <laughs> where you'd be, you know, I'll never forget the time I was leaving for a trip, and uh, I gave one of the guys a hard time about his bike not starting, and I was literally on my bike leaving <laughs> for the trip, and I'm like, hey, you know, your bike doesn't start. What a piece of junk! I hit the starter button. And the um, ring gear absolutely explodes on, on the bike. And I'm like, I'm geared up leaving for Sturgis and it goes boom. Uh, and I was like, well, huh. I guess I'm buying a new motorcycle today. Karma. <laughs> and I walked back in the dealership and sold myself a new motorcycle for the trip. Oh, that's funny. Oh, gosh. Karma. So, uh, ouch. I'm, I'm curious. Um, I don't think we have, but you, maybe you'll enlighten us. Did you ever sell to some unsavory kind of characters when it came to the motorcycle business? I mean, people talk about motorcycle gangs. I don't think that we have a ton of that here locally, but I'm just, it feels like a question that has to be asked. Sure. I mean, what's unsavory? Well, that's what you're, you're up to, you know, decide. It's up I to you. I don't think so. I mean, I, I don't, I'm not. Gonna... Any fun stories? Um, Not really. I mean, we didn't. It's Mankato, Minnesota. Sure. And well, and it doesn't have to be. Uh, it, let's derail the um, the biker kind of story or the, sure. the gang member story. Just any fun sales stories from the Harley days. Did you ever have anyone that got on one that really didn't know what they were doing? And oh god, yeah, yeah. that happened. That, that happened all. And we tried to be, <laughs> we tried to educate them as much as much as we could. But you know, keep in mind, I, I just told you a story about me getting on a. Kawasaki Ninja, not knowing what I was doing. So at a point, you know, you, you tell them, but, but you're going to do what you're going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so we try to tell people, Hey, don't do this. And there was a lot of, a lot of times people would tip over in the parking lot. <laughs> a lot of times they yours now, buddy. Yeah. Sorry mm-hmm. about that. Um, a lot of times they would, they would make it to quick trip and then they would walk back because they're scared. <laughs> um, and quick, and quick trip was about, you know, <laughs> a, a half a mile away from the Harley shop. Right. So they'd, they'd walk back and say, I can't, I can't do it. I was like, okay, well we'll get it back. So we go get it back. Um, but you know, yeah, people do silly stuff. I had one guy that it was funny. He was just a wild man, and he, uh, um, he would take the he would cut the front of his trailer house off, um, 
whenever he had to park his bike inside and then he'd put it back on. And that was kind of a fun story. He, he, he always said he had it down to about an hour and 15 minutes to get it on off the front of his trailer house to get that, that Harley Davidson in there. Cause it was that important to him. That was a fun one. Wow. That's commitment. Yeah. Can't remember his name right now. Bobby. That was his name. I'll, I'll spare the last name. I'm sure he's not with, I'm sure he's not with us anymore, but <laughs> uh, favorite trip that you went on with, uh, with your bike. Favorite trip would have been the, probably the first time that we all decided to go down to St. Louis and get uh, ribs at Pappy's Smokehouse. That would have been probably the favorite trip. That was fun. That was a fun one. Um, we jumped on the motorcycles, landed in lacrosse, ended up making a meandering trip down the Mississippi River, took the ferry across. That would have been um, beautiful. Yeah, it was really cool. It was really fun. It was really hot. I remember it being just terribly hot. Um, but we met, met a bunch of locals that kind of took us on some really back roads um, and it was really cool. You know, got to meet a lot of people and yeah, that was a fun one. That was, that was just cause it was like that first experience and it was just fresh and it was like, Oh my God, this is the open air. Yeah. It just, I had never gone. That was the first time I had dr- really ridden South if for any significant distance. Right. So, you know, we got into, into Missouri and it was just, just awfully neat. Pappy's Smokehouse. I was thinking about that too, because that sounds delicious. Is that place still around in St. Louis? It is. It's right by the stadium. Okay. Um, it was on. I think it was on some show, and that's why we wanted to go there. But okay. It's it's pretty class. It's it's real nice stuff. It's real good barbecue. Yeah. Yeah. Any uh, the other question I had too is any uh, close calls? You know, obviously you get uh, motorcycles. A lot of people there's danger involved. Um, but uh, obviously you can be a great driver, but not everybody else sees you. Any close calls or kind of scary moments for yourself or anybody in your group during some of those trips? Yeah. Yeah. We had a couple that were, we had a couple that were pretty bad. Um, you know, we've had, I've been in there when there's been a couple of accidents that maybe not, maybe not want to ride anymore. Sure. Um, cause that sucks. That's just, it just sucks. Um, you know, cause you're, it hurts, <laughs> you know, you're banged up and, you know, at best you're, you know, lost some skin and at worst, you know, you got to get somebody out there to help you. And that's, that's no fun when you're sitting there and your buddy's screaming and like, Oh God. Um, so, but of course it's the old syndrome where it's, Oh, it's not me. You know, it's never going to happen to me. Right. Um, but yeah, no, we had some close calls. I, uh, um, fell asleep once. That was stupid. Um, I didn't, I, I didn't know I was that tired. <laughs> that was stupid. He says, yeah, I didn't know I was that tired and I was. So, uh, Yeah. I uh, went into the oncoming traffic a little bit, but I, it, I don't know how close it was, but yeah, that was bad. Um, we had one by Red Wing where my buddy Tony and I were riding and we got boxed in and a car started to pull out in front of us. There was no way out, zero, zero percent chance of either of us getting out um, just by the way the traffic was. And so then we had to rely 100% on this guy seeing us, which is, like, not going to happen. And luckily at the last second, this car that was coming into traffic where we were boxing in saw us, stopped, and we were able to go by. But we both knew that there was no – if he had kept going, we'd just eaten the car. So, yeah, there was that. We had one on 169 where my buddy's throttle stuck. Um <laughs> <laughs> yeah, his, his throttle stuck, and he, we were, there's two of us, we were riding side by side, and my buddy was coming up behind us, and he was just going to kind of come up on us quick, and then his throttle had stuck, and he didn't have anywhere to go, because there was a car right here, and uh, so we got the two bikes here, we got a car here, and we got a buddy coming up behind us, and I, I have a, a road glide, so it has a fairing on it, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I see this fairing just get brilliantly bright, and I see my fairing light up, well... 
there's only one reason why your fairing is going to light up. It's because there's a headlight behind you. And if there's a headlight that close behind you, it's, you're going to get hit. So I looked in my mirror and he was like right there. And I ended up pushing my bike to the side, smashed into the car while we're on the highway, hit the car. Um, so I'm riding against the car. This lady's looking up at me, you know, like this. She's, what are you doing? And there Matt goes right between us. And uh, he ended up kind of going in the ditch to get it shut down. And uh, right on 169 by Jeez. the roadhouse right there. Wow. Yeah, that was crazy. Any injuries? No, nope, we got it all shut down. And wow. Got That's the, good. We were close to the Harley shop, so we took it back and sure. put his bike in the shop and then went to the roadhouse. Because why wouldn't you do that? Because why, why wouldn't you? Do, do some pull tabs, drink it's some beers. the only appropriate way to have Yeah, it. Know, that's yeah. fine. <laughs> my, uh, my grandfather, my aunt, and my uncle were all personal injury attorneys. And so when I say that my mom was definitely opposed to me being a motorcycle yeah. rider, it's, it's for good reason yeah. because alongside motor, motor vehicles in general, motorcycles are their best cases, which is an unfortunate thing to have yeah. to say, but it's, it's the truth. Luckily for me, I mean, every single thing that ever occurred to me on a motorcycle was done by me. Sure. hundred percent me. Like it's all my fault. I never had any time, you know, cause I've fallen off a couple of them, yeah. you know, there's nothing like getting off a motorcycle at 55 miles an hour to wake you up, yeah. but it's all been me. It's hundred percent my fault. And that is way better than being it's huge. Yeah. yeah. I don't know why it feels better to be that way, but it's like, yep, that was me. <laughs> Did it. Yeah. So that's good. So 17 years working for Harley Davidson, yeah. uh, we decided to make a career switch out of Harley and get into something different. How did that happen? Uh, well, it was time to, you know, it was just time to grow a little. Um, I knew that I wasn't going to be at the Harley shop forever. Um, I knew that uh, I was kind of tired of of the finance world because it was it was so, not the finance world, but the, the vehicle finance, um, because it was nothing was new. It was very static. Um, one deal was just like the next. It was rinse and repeat. Um, very little surprise. Um, and then, you know, the market was changing too. So the reality is that motorcycles aren't as popular as they are, um, or as they once were. So I'm kind of looking at it and it's like, gosh, okay, I'm ready to, ready to move on. And, and Mark was going to, Mark was the owner of the shop and he's my great friend. You know, he and I talk weekly yet. Um, and he's like, you know, I'm, I'm going to be selling the shop. So, and I was like, okay, well, I'll hang on until you sell it, and then we'll part ways and call it a career. And it kind of drug on a little bit. And finally, I just got to the point. I was like, can I perhaps move on? And he's like, yep, go ahead. We'll, we'll just train the next guy. So I just trained the next guy really well and uh, kind of exited stage left. Um, and I didn't know exactly I, – I didn't really have a great plan, but I just knew it was time to go. So when I started to leave, you know, I – took off. There wasn't, uh, I didn't really have a great plan, but I knew I wanted to stay in the financial world. Right. I, I knew that was what I wanted to do. So one of my friends, um, was Greg and I met Greg through the Harley shop. I actually sold him his first Harley Davidson and, and Greg being Greg Sayer. Yep. Greg, the owner of prime source owner of prime source. Okay. So I called up Greg and I'm like, Hey Greg, um, you know, I'm thinking about making a career shift. Uh, obviously the, you know, mortgages went what, what finance guy in the car world doesn't want to do mortgages? Um, so I called up Greg and he, he's like, yeah, come on up. We'll talk. So we talked for probably three hours. And then he's like, well, are you sure you want to do this? And I was like, I don't know. Um, he's like, why don't you work here for a day and see if you like it? Cause you might not. Um, so I, I came up and, you know, worked with processing and all that and kind of observed what mortgages looked like. And it was really interesting, extremely difficult compared to what I was used to for vehicle loans. Like I, 
had that down pat. You know, I could, I could actually start and finish a vehicle loan and with our software and the system in eight minutes done. Um, and mortgages are not at all like that. Right. <laughs> so I was like, Oh my God, this is going to be something. You still get them done pretty quick. I see those posts. So <laughs> we can get them pretty quick, but not that quick. <laughs> um, so yeah. So then I sat down with him and he's like, yeah, let's do it. And he threw me the, threw me the, the documentation to start studying for the test. And we studied and, uh, you know, I passed my mortgage test. I trained for another 30 days, give or take. And yeah, rest is history. Here I am. So roughly when was that? That would have been 2017. And when was Prime Source started? Uh, Prime Source started back, I believe, and then don't quote me on this exactly because I'm a little foggy on it, but I think it was right around 2000. Okay. So, yeah. 17, man. I, I was thinking um, that you have been with Prime Source longer than that. Is that a little surprising to you too? Yeah, 100%. When I think of Prime Source, I think of Brent Bush. So really, quite frankly, when when, when you said that there was a 17-year difference between when it started and when you got involved, it's strange to me. Well, I think there's, um, you know, there's a great group of people at at Prime Source that um, I get a chance to work with on a regular basis at Jay Long's, which is a blessing. Um, My favorite obviously being you double B, but Ryan Stangle, president of yep. prime source, obviously Brent being the vice president of, of prime source. And then the whole rest of the crew, including Greg Sayer comes in every once in a while too. And a bunch of other great people. So obviously, yes, a good reason why a lot of people know of Brent Bush for prime source is because he is one of the top lenders in the state of Minnesota, as far as mortgages. Pretty impressive. Yeah. I, I, uh, I appreciate it. It's, it's kind of surprising, I'll be honest with you. Yeah. Well, you. I mean, we're talking five years, right? Five years. A little over five years. Yeah. Um, so what has been the secret sauce to success in, in Brent's world for? You know, I don't have any superpowers, and I don't have a whole lot of skill sets. Um, <laughs> he's humble. Gosh, he's selling me. I love it. I know. Let's go. That's use what him. it is. Um, that's what I, it is. That's but, a selling point. But, yeah. but no, and, and also like, I don't have, like, I don't, there's no real secret sauce other than, um, I can take a beating, man. I can take a, I can, I can work hard. That's, you know, my, my old man got that through my thick skull at a young age. I, I can work really hard and I don't give up easy. Um, and also I genuinely do like taking care of people like for real. Um, so I answer my phone and if they have a concern, even if it's an uncomfortable topic that I don't really want to talk about, we still talk about it and we bring it to resolution every single time. And there's, I mean, you and I had stuff we didn't want to, I, I wanted to wait till you were done and I was going to give my little testimonial to you because it, it is absolutely true. My uh, mortgage situation, we, we built a home and I won't go through all the detail unless Brent wants to give more details, but my situation was not an easy one for him to figure out. He went and studied and learned how to do this particular uh, mortgage situation so we could get a, a, you know, a rate lock and get the construction loan taken care of in a timely manner. I'm leaving out some things, but uh, I was super impressed. And you did, you do answer your phone every time I called, which wasn't a ton, but every time I would call a few rings, maybe less and you'd pick up, Hey, what's up? I got a question. I got a question about this or what are we going to do about this? And he was Johnny on the spot, uh, which I super appreciate. Cause let's be honest, that's 
when people are going through the process, that's their biggest purchase they're going to make typically yeah. in life. And you want somebody that's going to be in your corner. Yeah. And it's just, it's, it's just being a human. I mean, right. it could, it could really should apply to everything, not just mortgages. I mean, if I, agree. if I have a question about this, this, this whiskey, right, I should be able to find an answer to it. And if I have a problem with it, I should be able to find a resolution. Um, it's, it's not rocket science, um, but it is sometimes hard work and sometimes it's uncomfortable work. And that's kind of where I, I just can't not finish it. Um, cause I appreciate people and I really feel like when I have those questions, I want them answered. Right. For listeners that don't understand what, uh, what would be an example of the uncomfortable side of that work? Um, you know, there could be a whole lot of different things. You know, the easiest, the easiest uncomfortable thing is to have to talk to somebody about their own personal financial situation, mm-hmm. which is not, you know, I've done enough, uh, I've done enough work that I, I don't have any personal judgment on it. Right. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's just, we've, you know, we've got to fix it if you want to fix it. And we talk about it. We have that conversation. We fix it or we don't. That's fine too. Um, so that's, that's one really big example of it. But you know, there's things that come up inside of a loan. Um, things like are, you know, do you want your spouse on the title work, right? Or your significant other on the title work or, or your significant other calls in and wants to do something one way. And then we have to kind of have that conversation about should you, do you want to, um, why am I in the middle of this? Things like that can come up a little bit. Um, and there's just a whole host of, of uncomfortable situations. Maybe somebody's, uh, um, work situation changed a little bit in the middle of the loan. And we have to talk about how we need to adjust the loan, which maybe it's, it's not a positive adjustment. Um, but then we have to, we have to talk about it. And the, the tendency of the loan officer is to stop answering their phone when that uncomfortable conversation has to occur. Um, so for the listeners out there, if all of a sudden your loan officer won't take your phone calls or um, doesn't, uh, doesn't call you back or there's long delays, it's because there's an uncomfortable conversation that has to be had and they don't want to make it. Um, but to be a professional and to, to do your job, you just have to have that conversation and then fix it. Well, getting back to what Aaron said, it wouldn't arguably probably the largest purchase in most people's lives. That's, that's an important situation to be able to have that kind of conversation. So good that you're able to do that. Um, one, here's a question for you. How often do folks go out and buy a car or maybe a motorcycle in between when they've been approved <laughs> and when they decide to buy a house? And then, uh, how many of those uncomfortable <laughs> conversations do you have to have? Um, it, it happens more often than you would think. Mm-hmm. And I, I, personally believe that there is some emotional thing that occurs during a life change, such as buying a home that creates a, a, a yearning to do those things, a yearning to change your job a yearning to buy a vehicle. Um, and I don't know why, but it happens more than random. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that's hard. That can be, that can be a hard one. Uh, we, we really try to educate our clients on it. Um, but you know, it, it's, it's happened recently. Um, Tell people it, why that's a problem. It's a problem because it increases your overall debt load. So I've done your calculations often based on what I know your debts to be today. And then you are signing a document saying that you're not going to, you know, you don't have any additional debt. You're going to sign that at closing saying that everything is the same from when we did the application. Well, if you've gone and bought a Harley, bought a Harley Davidson, um, and you have a new $500 a month payment, well, that's going to change your, your debt to income. So that's going to change how much you make versus how much you pay. And perhaps that could put you in a situation where it's over our limit for lending. 
that limit set by the government. And then we have to get extremely creative on how we're going to fix that. And it can be, it's, it's the number one. I don't know if it's the number one, but would you say it's the number one dumbest thing you can do before closing on a mortgage? It's the number two dumbest thing you could do. Okay. And number one, quit your job. Okay. That makes sense. Quit your job. Do that. That'll, that'll, that one I can't fix for you. Right. There's nothing I can do to fix the quitting your job program. Um, because I don't generally hire a lot of people just that quit their job yesterday. Sure. Well, if um, they want to sell tacos, they can have an instant job. Just give me a call. <laughs> I don't know if that helps on the lending side, but happy to employ. Cool with that. <laughs> we'll hit their eye. We're going to take a moment to do a shout out to our fantastic spirit sponsor. Um, since the inception of the Get Deep podcast, which by the way, ladies and gentlemen, we are a little over one year old. We sure are. We are. Yes. I almost thought about getting a smash cake for Wes tonight and having uh, a <laughs> smash du- cake. double B get in on it. And we just, you know, throw cake around the room, but uh, truly an honor to be part of this community and be able to tell the stories of those who are doing. Thank you, Wes. Wonderful, joke. wonderful things. Um, so yeah, we're a little over one year old. We've, we've, um, been since the inception, um, sponsored by Chankaska Creek Ranch Winery and distillery. Thank you, Wes. And tonight myself, I am, I'm drinking the Ranch Road straight bourbon whiskey, uh, which is super good. I've had it many times. And, uh, Wesley, what are you drinking tonight? You know it. Same thing. It's my Love regular. Love it. What about you, you, Double guys? B? I'm going for the rye. I like the, I like the spice on the rye. It's good. Little something. Yeah. Um, yeah, their, their spirits are great. A lot of people, obviously, I should say most people uh, know them for their wines, uh, which they have many that are delicious. My favorite being the Marquette. Um, but their spirits, um, also are super, super good. They also have the North Forest Crim, uh, series, um, the maple bourbon pecan liqueur. If you've never had that one before, honestly, you guys, it can be used as a a drink, as a kind of after dinner drink, or some people will even do that and pour it over ice cream. Um, super yummy. Uh, or if you're like my wife, you pour it to the top of a wine glass and then forget my name. So... (laughs) That would have been a good uh, one video for <laughs> just uh, so people would have seen how full that right, wine glass yeah, was. Yeah, no, we just really appreciate their sponsorship. And if you haven't checked out the winery too, out on Highway 22 in Casota, Minnesota, it is a gorgeous spot for a date, a date night, date day, or uh, maybe even book your wedding or special event um, as well. So thank you to Shane Casca, your continued sponsorship. And uh, hope you guys out there enjoy their spirits and wine and all of the above. So back to Brent Bush. Let's do it. You got a beautiful beard, by the way. Do you like Just that? I have to say that. You've really been working on it. It's bushier than, uh, see what I did there, uh, than normal. It's winter. And, it's uh, your winter beard? It's my winter beard, yeah. It's, it usually starts as like a, yeah, it looks a little like Santa Claus, and then it, and then, yeah. Wes, no, Wes, get off his lap. He didn't say he was Santa. He just said it's a little like Santa. It's good. tempted me. <laughs> what can I say? Yeah. Uh, fantastic. So prime source funding. So they have been around since 2000 ish, as you, as you mentioned, you've been with them since 2017. Correct. Um, prime source, if you wanted to give a, a quick, um, cause why not, uh, elevator pitch to the the company and what you guys do and what sets you apart. Cause I'm pretty sure if I'm not mistaken, um, I won't make any claims if they're not true, but you, you guys close a lot are blessed to close a lot of, uh, mortgages here in the, in the Southern Minnesota and beyond area. What makes you guys special? What's the secret sauce? Yeah, we, uh, we are a mortgage company in Southern Minnesota. Um, that's all we do. So, 
Uh, we, we're direct lender too, so we lend our own money. Uh, we can also broker out. So we're, we're flexible in that regard. Uh, what makes us different and, and genuinely different, and this is so cliche, but it's customer service, real customer service. I mean, really, for real doing it. Um, and, and the thing about customer service that's so hard, like what's the secret sauce? You have to do it every day. You have to do it every time. You have to do it every hour. Um, it's not a, I'm going to do customer service from 9 o'clock to 5 o'clock. Like that's not how it works. If you really want to be a great company and you really want to affect change and you really want to deliver for your clients, you're going to answer your damn phone. And you're going to answer your phone at 7 in the morning if you're up because it's not that hard. And you're going to answer it at 8 o'clock because you're up. It's not that hard. And you do it every time in between. And you're going to do it on Sundays. And you're going to do it when you're at the lake. And if you're at the lake and you don't want to be bothered, that's fine. But you better have somebody that's going to answer your phone for you. You better have backup. Um, you have to do that. And that is the secret sauce. Now, we do the customer service in between, of course. You know, we, we do everything we have to do. Um, but really, it just comes down to answering your phone, answering questions, taking care of the problems, and making sure that people are comfortable with what's going on. That's the secret sauce. That's not a secret. You just got to work hard. So being available. Got to be available. Being present. Yeah, just like be, in business or with your family yeah, or with your kids. Yeah, you got to be present. I mean, I'm not asking, I'm not asking or telling you to, to sacrifice your life. Um, but the reality is, is that it really doesn't take that much time to answer your phone or to answer a text, right? You'd answer it if it was your buddy. And, you know, you don't get paid when your buddy calls you, right? You don't affect great change when your friends call you about their bonfire, right? You can answer your phone and affect change in people's lives, you know, it's not profound. I mean, they're going to get a mortgage somewhere, but it does make a difference. And if you do that every single time and, and you really care and you don't make it, you know, it's not a job, it's not a career. If you make it a lifestyle, you will make a difference and you will do well. That's all it is. It's not, it's, it's not rocket science. It's not hard. You just got to do it. I like it. Put that simply. Um, so Greg started the company. Is that correct? Yep. In yep. 2000? Yep. And uh, did he just see a need, fill a need, or what, what was his, do you know what his vision was? Then? Yeah, it was an evolution. So Greg, um, you know, he moved his, his, he bought a company here, a telemarketing company here, and uh, he ended up moving his whole company to, to Minnesota because he liked it here. And um, then we did telemarketing, and then it evolved, and the telemarketing was done for banks, Right. So he was getting leads in and calling people and then doing hot transfers where they'd, you know, just transfer the phone over to a bank. And at a point he realized, well, why would I do this for other banks when I could just be the bank? Right. And then it kind of transitioned to that. And then, of course, you know, telemarketing rules have all changed over the years. So telemarketing really isn't a thing anymore unless you're offshore and that's illegal. Um, so, you know, with the do not call list and all that, it kind of transitioned into what we have now, which is just being being a lender, which is great. So, and there's another location. So there's two locations. There's one in Rochester. Yep. Correct. And there's one here and that one in Cato, any other talk of expansion that you can talk about that he's Uh, considering or you guys are considering? Not at this point. Okay. At this point we're, you know, we're doing pretty, pretty good with where we're at, you know, obviously in the future. Sure. If if the opportunity arose, but, um, you know, we've got to find people that, you know, to do something like that, you have to find people that are like-minded and, uh, you know, it's important that you, uh, measure twice and cut once on stuff like that. Sure. Yeah. Um, so as mentioned previously, uh, 
you are the VP of Prime Source here in Mankato. Correct. Um, and then when it comes to the president, El Presidente, it is Ryan Stangle, my yep. bald brethren, much taller than I, but also my bald brethren. What's it like to work with Ryan? Uh, Ryan's pretty awesome. He's, yeah. He's funny. Um, you know, his, his intensity levels up there. Um, so it's, it's, it's hilarious cause he, you know, hi Ryan, if you're listening, I hope you listen, Ryan. <laughs> no, he's, he's great. I mean, um, you know, his, his mortgage knowledge is, is off the charts. Um, so that's fantastic because you can always bounce things uh, back and forth with each other and make sure we're, we're on the right paths and all that. But, um, you know, by and by he, br- he brings a really good cadence and rhythm to the office sure. just because he, he does have a really high intensity level, you know, his intensity level definitely matches mine and it's, it's a good pair. That's fun. So, yeah, I like it. Well, you guys do great. So I got to ask, um, so let's talk about why Brent Bush prefers to not wear shoes on the weekend. Could we get into that? I hate shoes, man. You I do. Hate, and I for hate. a guy that's as dapper as shit as you. I hate them. You hate them. I that's hate a strong word. Like in my, with my full soul. <laughs> so I, what, where does that come from? I don't know. It's just, it's one, it's kind of developed into, in a, this thing where I, I, I'm just far more comfortable without shoes. My neighbors all make fun of me because I'm <laughs> even, even when <laughs> in inappropriate times when it's like, you know, nearly winter and there's snow on the ground, I'll be out there without shoes on. Um, you know, I'll be out there without shoes around the bonfire. Dangerous. Ask me. Um, blister your feet, buddy. Be careful. Yeah. Well, I blistered my feet in the summer by just, I went for a walkabout and all of a sudden I'm, 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 half, I'm halfway away from home. I'm, I'm like two blocks away. And I realized that my feet are getting burnt on the asphalt because it was a hot day. So I had to walk through all my neighbor's yards and I ended up with, with little blisters on my feet. Just feeling very Lord of the Rings, Hobbit-like. You just just <laughs> rocking no shoes at the. You got some Hobbit feet. Uh, a lot so. of hair on those feet. They're not very furry, but they're they're yeah they're they're rough. They're not they're not good looking. <laughs> they ain't good looking. <laughs> yeah, but I also believe that you should do very all your dangerous tasks around the house should be done with bare feet. Yeah, yeah, because it could leverage. No, you're going to be careful. Yeah, be yeah. real careful. You, you mow the lawn with you mow the lawn without shoes on. I've done that. You're going to be careful. I've sure. done that a couple of times. Oh. I, I, not, I have. It was weird. So I, I go into these faces. <laughs> no, I'm and not I'll, advocating that. Just I, so. Well, I'm just going to say the guy that doesn't want to wear shoes, maybe I can understand, but you, I just, that's I, I'm me. not like him. I don't hate shoes. I, I don't have a hatred for him. I, I definitely, um, it's good because uh, you sell a lot of them. Yes, that's true. <laughs> um, but a big reason why I had mowed the lawn a couple times and, and liked to go barefoot a lot uh, years ago, I go through these spurts in my life of um, health and wellness phases, you know, where I, I, I gave a shit and then I let myself go and get chubby again and whatever. So, but grounding, you know, they talk about grounding yourself to the earth. Sure. And so I thought for the longest time, I'd be like, I'm taking my shoes off, getting grounded, getting connected with my planet, Right. Uh, and I'm not a, a hippie for those listening. I'm really not, but I do believe in some of the hippie and Indian ways and things like that. So anyways, but man, holy shit, my feet were green when I got done with that mowing experience. Yeah. And a couple times during that mowing experience, I had some rocks and twigs shoot up at me or like at my feet and ankles. And I was like, okay, this sucks. Why am I doing this? Yeah. It's like a contact sport. It, it's, it's not that's sweet. Um, and you never know if there's glass in your yard or something you're going to step on. It's metal. You just don't know. So it's not the smartest idea, but anyways, back to you. Would not have um, told that story, but Hey, more, more power to you. <laughs> hey, we're getting deep here, Wes. We're being honest. Um, so where did this thing about not wanting shoes though come? I've always, come from? Been, I've always been that way. When you're I younger just, and stuff. Yeah, no, yeah. I just hate them. Just, yeah. I don't like them. I'm weird. <laughs> 
I'm weird. I, you know, yeah, I don't, I have no good reason for it. Okay. Other than I just am far more comfortable in bare feet. Sure. So the first thing you do when you get home, well, you probably have to take off your shoes. That's what most people do, but yeah, kick them off. Absolutely. Done. Yeah. No, I'm, how did you hear about that? <laughs> it's just a guess. How did you hear that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you'll I don't never know, you know Brent. You'll never That's know. Funny. We yeah. have ways. Wes no, and I have yeah. ways. I, I pretty much go barefooted, yeah. Just okay. wait until we get to your darker secrets. Great. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Keep them nervous. Uh, it's funny. Uh, well, fantastic. I, I like that. Um, the, <laughs> another thing that I, I, wanted, I wanted to bring up, too, is... Look is, at him, he's nervous. Yeah, I am nervous. Like, oh, what's next? Uh, yeah, hopefully some people are watching video right now because you can tell he's a little nervous on this. Uh, no, I want I want to get into. Um, I've had conversations with him, and many people will see him post pictures of meat, not his own meat, but meat. Um, that was a joke, guys. Okay, uh-huh. people's meat. Um, but there, there's there's a handful of people that I am friends with locally that understand the art of smoking meat, cooking meat searing meat, uh, you know, all the things. And one of which is my brother-in-law, but the guy that I've learned some things from, from what I can retain in my small brain is Brent Bush. You have a passion for good cuts of meat and how to produce or like not how to produce them, but how to, how to create them, how to explain it. Yeah. I like to cook. I like to cook a lot. Yes. Um, and I like to cook a lot of different things, but at the end of the day, given the choice, I'd like to cook some meat. I'd like to cook some steaks, uh, you know, whatever, you know, anything that, anything that's got legs generally, I'm, I'm pretty down with eating. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> well, you can't say yeah. that on this podcast. Yeah. I don't expect Anyways. us to laugh. <laughs> Low hanging fruit there. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Moving forward. Uh, um, no, no, no. We're going to take a second and enjoy that one. <laughs> thanks, thanks, guys. Anything, anything with legs. I'm so here we, here we go. Mo- moving on. <laughs> Carrying on. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> Oh. I'm crying over here. That's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> We're framing that one. Oh, you talked about like a yeah, shadow box. That'll be great. <laughs> Why not? That'll be great. Um, Love it. But no, yeah. So, you know, nothing better than, 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 you know, firing up a barbecue. And I've got a ton of different barbecues. But yeah, you fire up the barbecue, um, sit there, maybe throw a brisket on or, or even something as simple as a pork shoulder. Um, sit around, talk with your buddies, you know, talk smart, look at, look at it cooking. Um, and, uh, yeah, produce some good food, have a great meal, maybe feed the neighborhood, which, you know, happens on a regular basis. And, uh, yeah, I love that. Well, if you're ever just, you know, have this unfortunate problem of too much food, always know you can give me a call. I'd be happy to help out. Number one. Yeah. You would be surprised at how often that happens. Listen, I'm a problem solver, if anything. So, uh, but I'm curious. I, I was told a couple of friends that we were having you on the podcast and they were wondering what we were going to chat about. And I said that you were a meat aficionado. Is that a good way to put it? Um, and smoker specifically. And they asked, well, ask him about the equipment because I think uh, people that are really passionate about that have a, a good knowledge for the type of equipment they use, why they use it, what they do with sure. it. Yeah. So what do you, what do you have? What do you do? You know, I've got, pretty much everything um and and they're old like some of them are pretty old my my first like really good barbecue that i got i had made made for me down in houston by a company called pits and spits and i had that made in 02 and shipped up so it's kind of old and it's a survivor i mean it's it's banged up it's a little rusty it's huge um and it's it's what they call a stick burner so it you put whole logs in it wow and it's a texas pit 
Um, it only, it works best if you have it full of stuff. Sure. So I think the, the main chamber is like 24 by 60. So it, it's, it's good size. Is yeah. this where you cooked the, the pig? It is where I cooked the whole pig. Yes. The whole pig. The whole pig. Yes. Damn. Yeah. They fed his neighborhood. Well, that, that was a different one. The, the pig was a 4th of July party, but it was awesome. Gotcha. Continue on your tools. Yes. You've got many. I do. I've heard these stories. So, some of them. They're so great. yeah, so that's my, that's my stick burner. So that's like best for briskets and beans. I've got a great bean recipe or if you're going to cook, you know, I think at the most I've cooked is like, I think 12 pork shoulders at a time. That's um, a lot of pork shoulders. Yeah. <laughs> so if you're going to, if you're going to really load it up. I don't know if I've ever seen 12 pork shoulders together. <laughs> it's pretty awesome. It's yeah. pretty epic. Um, but if you're really going to load it up, that's when it does its best work. You know, it's got to be full. You can't put one thing on it. It just gets too much airflow and it dries it out and gets kind of gross. Yeah. Um, and then I have, uh, you know, of course, gas grill. Who doesn't? Uh, and then I have a Komodo style grill, which is like, think big green egg, um, Komodo Joe. Mine happens to be made by Weber just because I'm a Weber guy. I like to make good stuff. Um, so that's really great in the same way, a very similar way that the, the big stick burner is and that you're going to put charcoal on the bottom. It's going to burn slow. It's going to have a nice, you know, good flavor. It's going to do, but it's going to do one or two pieces, right? So you can maybe do a single brisket pretty well, not the best ever, but pretty well, but you can do great pork shoulders. You can do one or two pork shoulders. It's fantastic. It's easy to use, fire it up, walk away. You don't have to do anything with it for 12 hours. It keeps its temp at 215 and you're done. So that's pretty, pretty awesome. Also makes great chicken and stuff like that. Um, and then of course I have a pellet grill. Cause sure. you have to have a pellet grill. Of course you do. They're awesome. How do you live without one? It's tough. Right. You'd, yeah. Um, but they're not like you wouldn't, I will get criticized for this, but I will also stand by it that brisket on a pellet grill isn't very good. Not compared to brisket on a stick burner. So I would argue that most people don't get to experience brisket on a stick burner. So they don't have a good basis for their argument. I would, I guarantee you're correct. Yeah. Yes. So yes, will brisket come out nice and tender and juicy on a, on a pellet grill? It will. It'll, it'll be, it'll be fully edible, but it won't be like tes- like Texas brisket. Um, so, you know, you wouldn't do that on it, but um, if you want like a magical piece on that, <laughs> uh, you get yourself some chicken thighs sure. and you put them at 215 degrees on a pellet grill and you put whatever you want on it and it's magic. Yeah. Like, and, and a stick burner can't do that. Cause it screws the chicken up generally right. compared to what that, so it's, you know, different tool for a different job. Yeah, no, that makes total sense to me. So how many storage units, garage stalls are we talking here? Cause that sounds like a lot of equipment. Um, I actually poured a concrete pad behind my garage for my barbecues. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was partially joking cause I knew people would think that was ridiculous, <laughs> but I also knew that that was probably reality yeah. unless you had like a three plus four plus stall yeah. garage. No, I have so. them out, out back, but like I'm not allowed to get a, a Blackstone at home oh. because we don't have space. Not allowed by you or by Jess? By Jess. Yeah. She said under no circumstances can you have a Blackstone. Well, keep complimenting her on this podcast and maybe that'll change. I, it's not, she's, she's, she's Scottish. <laughs> Jess, we're well, the, Bla- the Blackstone isn't, I mean, there's multiple sizes. You're talking, you wanted like the big one. She's like, just period. You're done. There's no more. <laughs> Cause done. the Blackstone, there's just like the tabletop version. That's not huge. Right. She wouldn't care if I kept it at the neighbor's house. I can have no more. <laughs> well, here's, here's a question. Does she like to cook? She does. Yeah. 
Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Well, then that changes the conversation because I was going to say a lot of women would probably be appreciative of a husband that wants to cook that much. And no, right. she, your argument is, hey, I'm cooking all the time. Let no, me have my tools. Yeah, she does like to cook, but I like to cook all kinds of stuff. You know, I'm I'm a fan. I was going to say, like, I was just, I was just going to mention. So, like, the meat thing is what I I feel like we have the most conversations yeah. uh, about at the store and what you know people talk about. But, um, I mean, we're talking. Uh, he 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 makes bread too, you know, and and. Um, uh, what's, what am I trying to think about that? The really delicious bread. Sour, sourdough. Sourdough. Sourdough Thank bread, you. perhaps. I mean, there's multiple mm-hmm. pieces of delicious bread, but you're a big sourdough fan. I am. Right? I mean, so you, you, you make bread, you do the meats. I, I am, mean, yeah. where, Actually, did the, where did this begin? Was this from somebody else in your family? Was your dad like this or your mom? You or? know, we, our family was. You know, we had the, you know, dad was always in the kitchen because he was always testing stuff. So stuff would come in from vendors and they'd be like, hey, try this. So every night was like an experiment in the kitchen. Right. Um, not every night, but often. Um, so dad, cool. Yeah, it was pretty neat. And dad was really, he was pretty good at it. Um, you know, mom, quite a good cook as well. But dad did more of the, the weird stuff because he had all the stuff to try. Um, so that's, that's where it really came from. And then, you know, once we got married and we were young, a lot of the cooking just came out of necessity. Right. Um, right. Like we didn't have... We didn't have the means to go out or we didn't have the means to really buy pre-made stuff. So we had to learn how to make good food, which we knew what good food was. Um, but we had to learn how to make it from the ground up. So for instance, I, you know, remember in my old house, which I still miss, which was down on off of Stoltzman road, you know, I put out a bowl of flour with cheesecloth over it for three days to try to catch the wild yeast out of the, and I I know you're going to think I'm crazy, but I really did this too late. I, know. <laughs> I was going to say. So I, I did. I, we caught the, we caught the wild yeast and then we cultured this and that's to this day, that is my sourdough base. And that would have been in 1999. I did that. Damn. So I still use that same sourdough base. It's on my counter up at my house. I feed it every couple of days <clears throat> and make bread with it. So you're eating bread from 1999. To a point, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's correct. It's a party. I, I love that. There's an episode of Succession, which is a show that I love. It's on HBO, and there's a billionaire, and his son gives him some sourdough starter, and he's like, what is this? He's, he's so confused by it. He goes, it's starter. It helps, you know, you can make bread. He goes, it looks like goo. <laughs> it's just, it's super hilarious. Yeah. So. so, yeah, that's, I do that stuff, you know, I, yeah, I like to cook. Is it a challenge? I mean, is it just it is. so much different than what you do? It, it it creates, you know, some people paint, some people yeah. write, some people. Is this your way of harnessing the creativity inside your brain to give you that, that, that outlet? You're giving me a lot more credit. Than Am I? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, it's not a lot of, I mean, yeah, there's some creativity to it, but I'm not generally a super creative person. I'm a pretty technical person. Sure. So I do better with, you know, the technicalities of cooking. Um, but it's a puzzle, right? Cause we got to do it right. We got to do the, do, we have to do the food right. So it tastes right. Um, and then it's also a timing puzzle, right? We have to do it right. We have to do it right on time because it, you should want it. Everything should be ready when it's time to eat and everything should be ready at the same time. Yeah, it's an orchestra when you cook right. properly. Right. So, so what, what ha- you know, so that's kind of the challenge part of it. And then for me, it's sufficiently complex when you're doing those things and trying to make something that's nice and tastes good. And then, you know, give it to people so that they like it um, that I can't really think much about mortgages or anything else when I'm trying to sure. get this done. Yeah. Cause I've like, I'm you're in um, the zone. I'm in the zone. Is just the same way in the kitchen or is she, are you like, okay, give me my space and 
you're kind of like crazy person running around. You got your timers all going and no, no, she's, she's, you, a, she's you guys a, have a good symbiotic relationship yeah, in the kitchen. She's a good sous chef. She's okay. A, she's, she nails it. Um, my kids are too, actually. My kids yeah. are like trained. It's awesome. I'd be like, okay, two onions, fine dice, go boom, done. Nice. I love it. If they want to make tacos. So it's same offer stance. It, uh, it seems a little military to me a little <laughs> bit with the way you are, but yet you are a person who is a huge supporter of military, but didn't serve. Right. Did not, nope. So I'm going to touch on that for a moment too. Uh, ever since I've known you, I've always known, uh, you as a person that is super supportive of, uh, of military. Yeah. Um, you know, organizing the motorcycle, uh, rides and things for vets mm-hmm. and such. Um, I want you to talk about a little bit about that, where that, where that came from and, and why that's such a special spot for you and, and, uh, supporting. Yeah. You know, it's, it's always been kind of a, an important part, uh, couple of different reasons. You know, one of them, my, my dad was a Navy veteran. My brother is in the Navy. Um, you know, I, I, timing didn't work out for me. Um, I kind of view it as, uh, kind of the ultimate level of service to the country, which we're awfully fortunate to be here. Amen. Um, our country is pretty doggone good. Um, we're provided with some pretty awesome things like complete safety from invasion and, and, uh, um, the ability to earn and live the life that we want to live. And, uh, you know, our veterans give us that ability. So, um, it's my way to, to, you know, to support them should be automatic in my mind. And then, um, you know, it's my way to kind of give back a little bit, do everything I can to, to, to help carry them along and anything they perhaps would need. So that's really where it comes from is just kind of that sense of civic pride. Like how can I really affect, <clears throat> excuse me, how can I really affect some civic change or, you know, civic, um, changes or, or, you know, I don't even know what I'm trying to say there, but um, how can I be gotcha. help things go along with the veterans and the people that make differences in our world? And that's do your them. version of your duty to the yeah. Country. That's kind of you, you know, yeah. You're better at it than I am. No, I I'm, so, I work with words. There you go. Um, as far as the motorcycle ride, so is that still active and still going? So it is not. Okay. Um, unfortunately, just it's hard to get people to ride motorcycles anymore. Right. Um, you know, they're kind of scary and dangerous. So well, when did that change? By the way, I, I know you were talking about motorcycles before and I don't want to jump back too far, yeah, sure. but I was curious when that kind of like social shift happened, you know, it was popular as hell in the early two thousands, right? You talked about that. I mean, in before that, but like, when did that happen? Was there some event or it just changed? Um, I mean, there's probably a real reason, but I like to think it's when people quit listening to rock and roll. Okay. Well, yeah. yeah, that's a very valid point. The cultural shift in the, I, in the I, nation. Yeah. I mean, that's, and it's probably not it. I'm just kind of being funny about it. You but. mean there's the bands of today don't produce legit rock and roll print push. <laughs> <laughs> I laugh because I don't think so. I, I, don't, I don't. Classic I don't, rock. I, is I don't believe it's. Yeah. You classic yeah. rock yeah, fan? I am. Yeah. What uh, favorite artist? Uh, it's probably got to be Dio. Okay. Yeah. Good. Bob Seger and the Silver Bullet Band at all? Ever? Yeah, I can get my head around that. God yeah. damn. That's at the station we were just listening to before we started the podcast. I just, I, something about Bob Seger. I mean, I was born in 86, but it, it just, it's such a good vibe. I like that very much. I, I mean, I know that, I know my Dio thing's kind of like classic metal, but yeah, at this yeah. age, I don't even know what's classic rock anymore. So what do you listen to when you're smoking? Meats, that is. I don't want people to think you're smoking, <laughs> yeah. you know, could be smoking two things, uh, you know, whatever it, it, you're smoking uh, on it. It really depends on my mood. Um, sure. you know, I could, I could definitely throw on some Adele, uh, uh only, <coughs> only, only cause the dog loves hello. 
<laughs> it's a good song. The dog, the dog, dog does go a little crazy yeah. for that. But we only play it one time and then we got to put it away. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I uh, no, you'll you'll catch. I will actually throw on for real, Bob Seger. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, this is this is going to be bad, but I'll throw it out there, Bob Seger. Uh, I do like me some Gordon Lightfoot. Sure. Um, yeah. Why not? Uh, <laughs> yeah, Edmund Fitzgerald. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you know, but it could it could vary all the way down. I was singing this time. Yeah, Aaron always sings every episode. I, I'm I'll, sorry, Brett. And then he edits it out That's half awesome. the time, like you bastard. Um, but yeah, classic rock. Um, I will. I do like uh, also the yacht rock genre. <laughs> sure. For uh, some nice easy listening. Um, but you know, there's nothing wrong with a little party metal. Sure. Or even some, uh, you know, Texas country, a uh, little bit there once in a yeah, while. Depends on what's going on. Depends, you know, if, if I'm smoking a brisket, um, right, that's Texas barbecue, man. And yeah. if you're going to do it right, like you have to get kind of in that mood. Yeah, so you throw you on some, the mood. You throw on some Texas red dirt country and kind of, you know, maybe crack open a Lone Star and watch the barbecue smoke. There you go. Sold. Well, back on the barbecue train, one of the questions I left on the table is, what is the weirdest thing that you've either smoked, cooked, however you want to put it? You ever uh, done any strange animals or... I think the weirdest thing? Um, gosh, I don't know. I, I would say, I mean, for a lot of people, it's my spam. You've my sp- smoked spam? It's delicious. Okay. I know you don't believe me. I'm reserving judgment till I try it. I haven't tried it yet, but he told so, me about this a couple months ago, yeah. and I still have yet to. So you, you, it's it's an appetizer. Like you're not you're not laying down with a slab of. So it. time out here. Are you doing something other than smoking it? Are you seasoning it, rubbing yeah. it, doing something? So here's what you okay. Yeah. So I'm totally on board now. So how how what you know spam is an interesting and maybe it's not that weird, but it's a little weird. But it's an interesting piece of meat. It's it's pretty good. So you take it, you score it, and then you put it on the barbecue. And then you spray it with a, a mixture of um, uh, brown sugar, right? So you, you boil it's brown sugar yep. and uh, some liquefied butter and uh, flavoring and a, and a couple of different seasonings and maybe a little Tabasco, right? So you get a little bit of heat on it. And then as it's smoking, and this works best on the Texas smoker um, because of the, the, the high amount of, uh, of uh, smoke that's going into the product. And you spray it about every 20 minutes. And what happens is, is that the surface candies, so you end up in it, and it soaks in because the spam is a little absorbent. So then um, that that stuff will soak in, and then it candies it. And you get this layer, this thickness of candied spam, and it's kind of a little. It's got a little bit of a bite back, um, and it's it's delicious. I'm sold. But brown sugar, candied. It's good. Yeah. So that's kind of a weird one. Other than that, I don't really. I don't know. Fish. I don't smoke fish. You ever done elk? No. So that's just one that I've never had a chance to try, but I've always wanted to. It's and, yummy. Uh, yeah. I don't even know what the best ways are to prepare it. I'm not a Well, I've, I'm not I've, a cook I've not myself, smoked but. it, but we were on the lake last year on Madison Lake. It was right about this time. We had a, a, a friends get together from high school, actually from Loyola, and uh, we had a big bonfire on the lake. We got in kind of trouble for that, but anyway, it's a different <laughs> story. Um, and my buddy Jimmy uh, brought out a bunch of elk steaks. And we and we cooked them over the open fire on on, on Madison Lake. Sounds awesome. And they were delicious. That was like, really good. Yeah. And it was like, and I, I, so I'm normally not a big wild game guy. Like I can get my head around it, but you know, if elk was really great, we'd have those instead of instead of cows, right? Right. But we don't. Um, yeah. But be that what 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 it is, that elk that Jimmy brought out was delicious, and he had you know done it the right way, shot it himself, all that. Um, yeah. 
Talk to me about meat s'mores. What are those all about? Uh, they're amazing. Also. Did you create that or did you get that recipe from somebody else? Well, I mean, I like to think that I created it, but I guarantee I didn't. Um, it just, it turned into a, it was a late evening and uh, <laughs> love late evenings. That's like, when everything good is created Yeah. So or talked about. All right. So we, we'd had a party and we had cooked some steaks for the, for everybody and they were delicious. We had nice filet mignon. They were beautiful. And, and I had too many of them. And some people hadn't showed up and we didn't cook them. So we had these filet mignons laying around and we had had a few beers and uh, the fire had died down. And you know how you look at the coals and that bonfire and it's like, oh, look at those coals. If we could cook something over it right now. (laughs) So what we did was we're sitting there and my buddy Tony and I, and we come up with a lot of stupid ideas. Um, We're looking at it and the kids had just got done cooking s'mores maybe an hour prior. And we're trying to figure out how we're going to cook these steaks. And I look at it and I'm like, oh my God, let's just stick it on the skewers. And, and, and so we did. And it seems so simple and it is so simple. So it's not anything unique. Um, but you cook these nice thin tenderloins over that radiating red coal and you get it nice and close and it just crisps it up. and It just is beautiful. And you season it with nothing more than salt and pepper. And it actually has nothing to do with s'mores. It was just that we came up with the name at that very moment and we were a few beers in. So it was a stupid name. <laughs> But it's the name they got. Yeah, I think and, it's perfect. And, and so there's no addition to the meat. It's just, no, it's you're just even, cooking it's it over a flame on a stick. It's not a s'more at all. Okay. Um, but it is an interesting thing. So so we, we do this often, right? Um, because we you know have bonfires and talk smart and, and, and everybody likes the, the meat because it's delicious. And we began to, and I'm going to go down a rabbit hole. Love it. All right. Here's Please. the rabbit hole. So we did it enough that we began to realize a difference between the, the wood. Okay. So we started to figure out that different types of wood really clearly cooked the meat differently and produced a different flavor. All right. So what we, what we came up with is that all of a sudden, um, whenever we'd cook it over Oak, like white Oak, it would just be a far better product, like head and shoulders better. And, at this point, I think I created fire. Like I have cracked the Da Vinci code and, um, I'm like, oh my God, this is it. You know, it's oak and no, no, no. So I start Googling it on the internet and I come across a, a Japanese style of, of uh, barbecue um, called yakitori. And yakitori is cooked very specifically with a uh, oak charcoal from Japan. It's a really weird charcoal. It's, a, it's really light and it's, they're actually the branches, and they sound like ceramic when you hit them together. So they're, uh, it's, it's very well carbonized. Uh, it's really weird stuff. Um, but the Japanese, because they've got you know thousands of years of culture, it just, thousands of years ago discovered that oak is the right way to co- cook meat. right? And here I am up in my yard thinking I've cracked the code. <laughs> um, but really the Japanese have been doing it for years. Anyways, um, so I, I end up, I have to buy this grill, this yakitori grill, um, and then you get this charcoal, it's called binchotan. So I get this binchotan charcoal from Japan and, uh, you know, start cooking over it and it's really interesting. So again, this grill is called a yakitori grill. And then what you do is you make these little skewers of meat, beef or chicken, and you turn them and all that. And it's beautiful. And they serve it, you know, in back alleys and whatever, after bar clothes in Japan. And then you take the skewer and you dip it in this sauce called tare sauce. And this tare sauce is a, a sweet sauce with soy and, and all that. But here's where it gets really weird. And uh, the tare sauce and the yakitori grill are, are kind of really well combined. And it is where you get tare 
and yake. So it's teriyaki. It's real teriyaki. Mm. So like, again, oh, I shit. think that I discovered fire. Fun. I think I discovered fire and really I just came up with what the <laughs> Japanese have been doing for a thousand years and it's called teriyaki. That, Anyways, Funny. that's meat s'mores. That's the long story. Meat s'mores. You know, Sounds we've, yummy. we've talked a lot about um, the tools. We've talked about the process to a certain extent. I think the one thing that is super important that we've probably left out is, is where do you source your meat? Where, where are you buying from? Because if you're going to spend this amount of time and love on it, you got to be buying it somewhere you, you care about, right? Yeah, you know, I get, I, get, uh, I get a fair quantity of it uh, from Schmitz. Um, it's a common one. Yeah, you know, Schmitz is good. Um, I also, you know, get a lot of it at, at Sam's Club. Sure. You know, I do. I go to Sam's Club and, yeah. you know, because I can drive there and get a brisket. Yeah. You know, if I've I, had mixed results with Sam's Club. I've had really good meat and I've had uh, meat. Yeah, that's the risk you take. Yeah. Um, but otherwise, probably... You know, one of my other go-tos is going to be Mokel's, which, sure. oddly enough, is three Just blocks that way. way. Yeah. <laughs> Did you guys venture there when you were young, too? Oh, my God. Got me family. I mean, oh they've God. been there forever. Um, they, yes. Yeah. I mean, they, they, they know my kids already. Yeah. Like, they know them by, <laughs> for real, because my kids go get stuff there it's for us. impressive yeah. that that's still there to in my opinion yeah like just on the corner it's really the only family owned grocery store still here right yeah i mean i don't think i'm forgetting anyone when i say that yeah right i mean i'm sure there's some of the the new uh um new ones but well yeah i think if you include the international grocery stores yeah but those are those are relatively new too right so but yeah the uh locals is awesome i mean and they you know they do have a pretty good pretty good selection of meat if you want a good if you want a good porterhouse uh don't uh don't shake your fist at Mokels. They'll uh, they'll get you a, a fantastic piece of meat. Um, have you ever done? Do you do much pork? I do. Yeah. So Compart is a, a client that we've worked with in the past, but we also just acquired through the acquisition we did as a, as an agency. And I freaking love those pork chops. Those things are amazing. The stuff is delicious, and their pork shoulders. I'm telling you, yeah. it's on a different level. Yeah, it's because they, they, they're what's the the kind of pork they have? Is it uh, Duroc? Duroc. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty. Doggone good. I listened to the founder talk about the genetics behind the whole line, and that's amazing. That's actually someone we should have on the podcast is the someone from the Compart family. Jim's the one that I know the best, but there's there's a lot of folks in that family. And just listening to animal genetics and how they've bred specifically for food purposes is, is really interesting because there's a lot of science that goes into it to make the quality food that we eat today. Stuff's delicious, man. And, and, and actually, you know, for everybody out here, and I'm, I'm sure most of our listeners, right, are going to be cooking with pellet grills. Right. Um, pellet grills are really, really well suited to pork. Yeah. Like really well, perhaps equal to, or maybe in depending on the cut, like a pork chop or whatnot, better than a, than a Texas stick burner. Sure. And, uh, and you can get some pretty amazing results on like a nice thick cut pork chop, pellet grill, 225, with a nice, you know, maybe a sweet rub on it. Oof. So the common mistake here is, is that I don't have dinner before these podcasts. And then we have these conversations. Sorry, buddy. And now <laughs> this is just, I'm going to, some restaurant's going to benefit from my dollars. That's, that's yeah. happening tonight. We probably should just add into the studio, Wes, um, you know, some sort of heating system underneath the table, this big ass table right here. And you could have Chilitos in the warmer down there or just <laughs> yeah, like, there you, go. you could have some meat. Smoking. I mean, it probably stink up up here, but something cooking down there because these podcasts take a while. So you know, are you still a little time of Chilitos? Oh, absolutely. You know what's funny is I get asked that question all the time. And when I would turn thirteen, first of all, my entire childhood, all I ate was Chilitos. 
<laughs> rice, and chips and cheese. So the most plain foods that we served as a restaurant. Okay. So I definitely got sick of mild cheese Cholitos by the age of 12 to 13. I took a year hiatus from eating Cholitos, and I came back with a bang because I realized... Oh shit! We have hot Cholitos. <laughs> which are which are the better Cholitos? They are the better Cholitos. They're more flavorful, but people are just scared by the term "hot" because it's Minnesota, and so they're lame and they don't try them. But they they're fantastic. I just thought of a shirt. I don't know why this. The, the, what is it? Writing it down. Yeah, he's got. You his need pen to have ready. a shirt that decodes the Cholito. Decodes. Tell yeah. me more. Well, if you don't if you don't know the Cholito code, you don't know that green is hot. It's true. That's true. A lot of people just in general, I mean, that's a common Mexican thing. Red is actually mild. Green is generally hot, but people don't think of it that way. I grew up in Mankato, Minnesota. Right. No, that's not a bad idea. Um, But yeah, so to get back to your thing, I not only did I explore the hot, I added sour cream. I did extra cheese. I played with hot and mild sauce in addition to the hot and mild Cholitos. Am I sensing a new menu item? Uh, you know, there's a lot of plays that have been proposed with the Cholito. Uh, people oftentimes play with the idea of just adding cheese and sour cream, and they do that on their own. You can do that when you when you go up. But um, is it like a like a hidden menu? Nah, yeah. That would be you should have a hidden menu. Thing. I want they my Cholitos animal. Yeah, I want them animal <laughs> style. There you go. Oh. That'd be fun. That'd be fun. <laughs> I mean, why not, right? Sure. We have the control. You, you guys can, yeah, you can do what you want. You've got big visions for the future. I, I think, uh, and again, I know we've talked about this a little bit in the past, but it's been a while since our podcast episode. And it actually would be kind of fun because we're a little over a year now. Yeah. Um, but in the future, for yourself and Molly, your sister, who bought it from your parents, um, keeping it all in the family, uh, the goal is to, um, you know, eventually stay on the same grounds, but potentially build a drive-through, rebuild, yeah. rebuild build a drive-through, and uh, kind of, you know, keep the vibe, but also make it modern, which That's I'm right. excited to see. I think it's going to be, I think people will really embrace that. Um, and then maybe more <laughs> secret menu items. The secret menu. Uh, you know, things like that. I'm just going to go up and mess with your people who like, <laughs> just start saying code just words. Just start saying code words. Yeah, we used to have a tradition of. Uh, they're gonna call. They're gonna text Wes and tell him some crazy fuckers. <laughs> we used to have a tradition of having current employees that hadn't met the new employees go up and order everything we didn't have. Oh, so I'd be like, "Can I have a water? No, I'm sorry, we didn't have free water because at the time we didn't have free water. I remember that. Day. Yeah, yeah, which was that. dumb, but that was Dad's thing. So, <laughs> you know, now we own it. We have free water. Crazy. Uh, but hold on, you have free water at Zam's? It's insane. That's not a. Thing. It's a thing. Did you? Is your dad okay with that? <laughs> it doesn't matter. He doesn't own. First thing he did is when he very first because we always used to have debates, right? And he would, uh, I would bitch at him about something that I thought should be done differently. I'm sure you had some situations like that in the oh, family yeah. business, right? And uh, dad said, "You don't like it? Buy me out." So <laughs> oh, that's we buy the restaurant. <laughs> first time we make a change, and dad goes, "Oh, that's that's stupid. I would I would never do that." And I go, "You know what, dad?" You don't like it. Buy me out. Yes. And he just laughed. Field. He just laughed because he knew it was it's That's funny. Awesome. So, but yeah, to the, to the menu piece, I smoked Cholito maybe. Ooh, that's good. That'd be interesting, huh? I like that. Add a little different flavor to it. Yeah. That's, that sounds good. Yeah. I like that. 
So, anyways, enough about Zans. Yeah. No, That's no, not life. enough about Zans. Zans is great. <laughs> Appreciate you. Appreciate you. Well, <clears throat> Wesley, if you have anything else in your list, go ahead and shoot that double B here. Otherwise, I have got, um, you know, a, a delicious final five for uh, double B. Let's do it. You ready? What's this? Stroke your beard. Get her ready. Get all that wisdom going. God, it's so beautiful. You know, I'm jealous because I can't, I can't grow a, a pretty beard like that. Yeah, you can. Well, I can't seem to, you know, the problem is I can't get my mustache to connect enough to uh, the beard on the bottom there. So there's always just like a little gappy type, you know, whatever. So it's boring, but it's part of my life. All right. Well, let's get into the final five here with uh, Brent Bush, our is, good friend. It's just like a lightning round. Uh, you don't have to answer it fast. You can if you want, but you can also explain if you'd like. Okay. Ready? Go. Question number one. What kind of meat is Brent Bush? If he had to choose one meat, who are you? What kind of meat are you? Oh, Jesus. And I want you to explain that. <laughs> what kind of meat? Yeah. You're the analytical type, yeah. so I expect an what analytical type What kind of meat explains answer? who you are? Uh, what kind of meat? Oh God, I don't know. Brent, I have no input on these questions. These are Aaron's questions. This is. This is I, I come I, with them. Come up with them on the on the fly during the show. Can you tell? <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome, listeners. Yeah. Um. Let's see. I would probably. I. Jesus. Probably like buffalo. Okay. Because I'm kind of dry. <laughs> so so loving. Because I'm kind of dry and a little husky. Because you know? <laughs> you're tough. You were talking about your work ethic. But he's it lean, too, because buffalo like is extremely lean. It's a lean meat. So it? Okay, maybe we that. need to pick a different one. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> That's good. Uh, buffalo. Bison. Bison. All right, number two. Um, cookbook in your future, potentially. I mean, you, you have a lot of recipes you seem to perfect, um, a lot of ways you smoke meat, make things, do things I, I like that. I would do a cookbook, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. In the future, potentially. Have you ever thought about it? Is my you question. know I, a little bit, um, but a lot of you know I don't have a lot of like super original recipes. You know, I mean they're kind of original, but as long as you make a tweak from an original, it's an original. Yeah, but that's right? just screwing around. I mean, you know, I, I my problem is for a re- for a recipe book, like I have so much respect for the 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 real the real um, professionals, right? Like. You know, the, um, the Thomas Kellers, the, the Gordon Ramsey's, um, yeah, you know, all those guys, right. They, they, they really create, like they're genuinely artists and, and in my kitchen, can I make some of their recipes? Sure. Are they as good as they make? Probably not. Probably getting pretty close if I try real hard. Um, but it's not really art, right? It's like paint by numbers. So I would have a hard, I would, I would very much fear that I would disrespect them in creating a cookbook that was really just a tweak of their recipe, which is a masterpiece. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I, I get what you're saying. Uh, well, let's say that that cookbook actually came to fruition. What would you name it? That was the second part of that question. What would I name it? Oh, God. I don't know. Um, it would probably be something something to do with the locale. The BB book. The BB book. It could be, yeah. Not to, it would, you don't it, have to. It would probably, it would plays. probably, it would probably have to have to do with something with the location of Mankato or Southern Minnesota or sure. Minnesota. Okay. You know? Well, I just say on the book front, not everyone can create masterpieces. So ripping off a masterpiece recipe, but doing it on a paid by numbers level, it's not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah, no, but 
some of these guys, you see them like uh, respect to the art. Yeah, respect. I mean, to I the appreciate art. it, but I, I, and you know, I'm a pretty doggone good cook. But my God, you see some of the stuff that they put out, and it's like, Aaron and, and, and they do it at a restaurant. Like they do it on, a, they do it on a, on a production level, right? And it's it's mesmerizing that they can, you know, that they can do it. So Aaron and I are happy to taste test. So just let us know. Hey, I make a I make a mean eggs Benedict. Mm. It's mm. true, true story. Mm. Let's do it. All right, I'm talking. I'm thinking Sunday Sunday brunch. All right, question number three, double B. Um, music that's your favorite to make love to? Oh, Jesus. Hi, Jess. Um, wow. Well, let's see. Um, the, the Call of the Loon. Natural music. <laughs> that brings you to your cabin days. That's what that yeah. is. Which, yeah, yeah. That's, it's no call longer the, the cabin. It's called the love shack. I baby. like that. That's a great answer. The call of the loon. Oh, man. Um, I was going to ask you to do an impression of a loon, but I won't put you there. <laughs> we need a lot more of these. We're going to need a lot more whiskey. Uh, question number four. Um, you and I have talked many times in the store about, uh, you know, bourbons and whiskeys and things. You've also been kind enough to, to buy us some bottles of deliciousness. What, what is, if you could, you know, tomorrow is like, okay, you only have one kind for the rest of your life to drink bourbon, whiskey, whatever, booze. Let's just say that right in general, what would you pick? What's, what's the bottle that you could live with for the rest of your life and not get sick of? Um, the bottle of whiskey that I could could be any anything. Booze. Anything really? I know we've had more conversations yeah. about bourbon and whiskey and rye and things like that. But yeah. what, what's the bottle you could live with for the rest of your life and not get sick of? Um, I I would probably have to go with a Redbreast Twelve. Okay. Yeah, it's. I don't even know that. What what is this? It's a it's an Irish whiskey. It's it's easy drinking. It's pretty doggone good. It's not terribly expensive. And Red breast 12. 12. Yeah. It's su- super good. You can Is find that, that cork and key. I was just going to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, they've got 12, they've got 15. Um, I think they've got like a 17 and a 21. Um, they're all delicious. Um, but the 12's the jam. Yeah. I mean, I find the 12 to be the most palatable. Um, okay. Is 12 the year it was made or 12 is the 12 year it's old. been? Okay. Yeah. That was, yeah. yeah. Okay. And you need, it, it's interesting too, because yeah, you, you get, uh, the bite. Why, why the 12? Is it just less bitey? It's a little less bitey. And I think it's probably because it just has a lower, you know, lower alcohol content, but, sure. um, but it also, it seems to have a little bit more robust, like banana E kind of aromatic. Banana. It does. It That's does. It actually has a banana like flavor to That's it. That's very interesting. What's the price point on a bottle like that? 70 bucks. Yeah. It's a little high, but it's not bad. Yeah. Okay. You're a little high. I wish. Love you. All right. Brent Bush, Double B, my friend. Um, sure appreciate you on the Get Deep podcast tonight. Question number five. Let's go. This is a question I repeat quite often, and you may have heard it before, but I think it's important. Um, you have family. You have three kids, right? Two daughters and a son. What's the message? If, if, if tonight is your last night on this planet, right? Okay. With all the experience you've learned, all the places you've been, What's the message you want to leave with, uh, you know, mainly for your family, for the people you've met, um, your wisdom? Um, the wisdom that I would give them is to always give yourself the opportunity to be prepared. Take the time, do your preparations, do the work, get ready for whatever's going to come at you and it'll be just fine. Just don't be lazy about it. 
I like that. It's unique. It's different from what other guests have answered. Yeah. That, yeah. that, that I mean, that's just, just get, get ready. Just get ready. Be ready. You'll be fine. That's the secret sauce to Brent Bush's success. It's kind of it. Yeah. Well, I got to give you kudos. Um, not only a personal level working with you as, as, uh, as a friend, um, a client of prime source and, and yourself personally, um, working with me with my mortgage. Uh, thank you for all your hard work and willing to put in the extra time to willing to study and to, uh, figure out our situation, but also just being a good person, giving back to veterans, um, believing in what we have as a vision for our store at J longs. Um, and obviously being a part of groups locally that give back to the community. I think it's important. And I think it's cool to honor people locally that are continuing to push other people to be better as well. Um, so kudos to you, uh, and what you're doing. I hope you continue to do that. Thank you. And show your kids those important, those important lessons. I think there's not enough leaders in the world today, so we need you to keep doing that. Yeah. Major respect to you. I mean, you're a killer in your field, number one, but number two, I'm in a similar field, right? Client relationships and you clearly excel above all else. So it's, uh, it's inspiring. I aspire to be more (laughs) like you. Thank you for being on the show. Yeah. Thanks guys. uh, Have a good night. Yeah. You too.